It's time to hit the ice. Here's your NHL outsiders, Tim Biglow and Warren Smith, with the latest on the NHL's Western Conference Hockey Podcast. The puck drops now. Welcome to Sharpshooters. Welcome to another edition of Sharpshooters. I'm Tim Biglow, along with the showstopper, Warren Smith. This rolls off the tongue, Warren, when I say showstopper. Fucking right. okay let's talk about the elite six we are going to start with the pacific on the top three of the pacific they are substantially doing well the numbers back it up remember i was doing my nine and nine nine game stretches i've been keeping track of that all year warren here's what i figured out now that i'm not worrying about 10 game stretches Nine game stretches, you got to get 11 plus points to be in one of the top three spots. A wild card team's got to get nine or 10 on average in a stretch of nine games. And if you're below that, eight points or less in those stretches on a regular basis, you're, you're not making the playoffs. That's how this is factoring out. So we have that first third of the season. Everybody but LA's uh, done that. And the consistent part of it is that you look at Vegas, LA, Vancouver, Dallas, Colorado, and Winnipeg, respectively, they've all either been in that above 11 plus points in those nine game stretches or just a point below it, meaning a couple teams have gone and got 10 points in stretches there. Meanwhile, teams that are kind of competing for the wild card have had stretches where they've been below that. Right. So that's where I come up with the elite six Vegas, 25 and five, 45 points plus two goal differential, 750 point percentage kind of titled at night in night out. And, and they're putting, they're putting some gap between them and the teams just below them as well. Now, right over the 27 game stretch for everybody, excluding LA because they haven't played 27. They're one away and a couple days from playing that next game. As we record this on Friday afternoon, Vegas was 39 points at the 27 game mark best in the Western Conference over the first 27 games. But Vegas is at least going to be a point up minimally of L.A., but right now it's more like three points with everybody having played that or got to that 27 game marker of the season. And again, we talk about, you know, building and constructing a roster. The NHL is always focused on this star power thing. And don't get me wrong. Like Connor McDavid is amazing to watch. And Leon Dreisaitl is. And, you know, Sidney Crosby and Ovi in their prime were, you know, great players, elite players. But you have to have a team to win. And Vegas is just a good example of that, right? They got I mean, their, they, uh, they have some elite, though, right? Like, they have Jack Eichel, you'd consider elite, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Yeah, so would I. But and it, he's really found his game in Vegas, and he, he's become one of the best players in the league, I would say. And then you have the guys that kind of fly under the radar, but consistently put up points in our productive. Like, Marshall's show is unreal. You yep. know, Carlson's unreal. But the guy just dabs up and up and down, for sure. Yeah. But it, and they've got a really good defense group that's got a now two time cup winner 
Alex they have, Petrangelo. They have depth guys that's, that come in. Um, that's a cornerstone. Come in as uh, what you see, you call them black aces, right? The healthy scratches or guys coming up for the minors that that do well. Yeah. Like um, in recent games, this past week, like uh, that Zach Whitecloud, he was out for quite a while, right? And he came back and he's putting up points and helping them out. Um, but he's a rig- he's going to be part of their, you know, playing six in all health. Zach when they're healthy, but I'm saying he yeah. wasn't playing for big stretches. You know, we talked before about the guys that are missing with Martinez and mm-hmm. and everybody's and they just figure it out. Like uh that I don't know how do you say his name properly, but Dor- Doro Bev. He hadn't he hadn't played for something like um I think ten games he was out of the lineup. He was just a healthy scratch. Um mm-hmm. and then somebody had to go out and he scored he scored a goal uh against who was it? Uh, the stars, I guess. He got a goal against them, and uh, it might have been another game I saw him too. But he he gets a goal. Um, I remember it was like a few weeks back. Uh, some random defenseman came into the lineup we hadn't really heard of before. He came in and he put up a few points and made some impact plays. Like, not every team has guys like that. Yeah, and I agree with you on on that front. And two goalies that are legit, right? Yep. Like. Which, you know, in the long term, like you've talked about a bunch with, like, say, the Avalanche, for example, and some other teams as well, where they just, they run the the lead guys so heavy, and then when the backup comes in, there's such a drop-off in play. It's almost like an automatic loss, you know? I agree on that. Whereas the team, Vegas team feels confident in front of both their goalies, and both goalies get dubbed. And so when you think about the home stretch for the playoffs down the road and in the playoffs again, those guys are going to be fresh. And their top guys can be fresher because they their third and fourth liners get more minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good distribution of the line. They they do run kind of the top nine high minutes, but they're still giving their fourth liners like over ten minutes a game in Vegas with the way that it's run by uh, Bruce Cassidy, the coach. Six one road win in Dallas. Oh yeah, man! I put an asterisk beside that one. I was pumped to watch that game, dude. And then I was like, they just put it on them. Three that goals in the brutal. first, six different goal scores for Vegas in that win. Five-four home shootout win versus San Jose, and San Jose's been actually really good in the one last of the better stretch. teams in the Western <laughs> Conference this past week or two. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even though we're still going to talk about them near the end. Marsha show had two goals in that win and they got a five, four home overtime win to Calgary. Calgary was on a back to back. Calgary actually got a point out of that. I was surprised. Mark stone, two goals, including the overtime game winning goal versus Calgary. And then tonight they will play home to Buffalo as their next game. Just going to mention some of the Friday games as we go through this. I just think Jack Eichel doesn't have to be, like the franchise player that Buffalo was expecting him to be. And that's kind of helped out with that. There's this more of a supporting cast in Vegas, this defense. And I'm impressed by the depth because I yeah. think you're, you were talking about like the Braden Pacal or Ben Hutton guys that are injury replacement guys that have come in and in a bottom pairing role, more than adequate. And I like that Cotter too. He's kind of a low key underrated guy. Barbashev. Barbashev's a super solid player. Like Barbashev was a guy that St. Louis had that they never should have yeah. gone from. It's under the radar. A big guy that can skate with a lethal shot. Yeah. They just let yeah. him go for nothing, really. 
really they did and a guy that's you know in his prime years he's now 28 when the season started i think he was 27 so that's a, that's the thing i think a lot of people want to hate vegas <laughs> me included to be honest like we've talked about this before like i love the way their team is structured i love how hard nosed they are i love their balance and how they have scoring up and down the lineup goaltending all i like the way they play but it's just one of those things like when you've had a franchise that struggled for a long time or like most of the teams in the league that aren't the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last decade, right? Or maybe even Colorado or Dallas or whoever, but like really Tampa's the, the team that's been one of the top teams forever. They always win. But as far as like when it's when it's been a really long time between cups um, or if you've never won one before and you've had to struggle and you're try- you're cheering through your team through the ups and downs, the close calls and then the – the just it, there's just so much of a roller coaster ride and it's it's fun to be on but it's also really stressful if you care and uh when it comes to vegas it just happened so quickly that they were really good and then to win the cup so early i think a lot of teams are like fuck and the fact of how things worked out uh how much it could cost them so much money to get a franchise but they really got so many quality players right off the bat right it's like they got a head start on all the other teams it feels like so it's like but you, you still know. have to draft a team like this is my whole thing on it was yeah i agree 100 percent, and i had hate on vegas because i don't think you should get an instant competitive team but then you revisit it after seattle does their expansion draft and having watched what vegas did and how they maximized it and then i look at some of the selections like seattle made and some of the guys that they didn't take that they should have taken because, you know, like, especially with the central division teams, like I was all over, you know, okay, if I'm this team, these guys are the guys I don't want to lose that were available. And then Seattle would just, you know, pick some guy and it was like, what are you doing? Did Seattle like, get the exact same setup as far as the drafting yes. goes as Vegas? Yeah. I heard somewhere that there's some no. rules that were changed. I don't know. They didn't cost them as much or something, so they, they didn't get all the added benefits or something. No, they had the same price point coming into the league. They had the same expansion draft. They just didn't do rules. as good a job. There you go. Yeah, look, I know what you're saying. I respect that, too. It's it's if you pay attention to what they've done and how they've grown their teams, right? Like, they deserve to be where they are. It's just think of all the franchises that struggled for so long you know yeah and, no and i get it i get it if you haven't won a cup i'm a, i'm all here all day for vegas is know, the new shiny toy right yeah like it's they're just so vegas with just mm-hmm. all the all the pre-game production and stuff like that you know the whole thing on it though is that like kelly mccrimmon and before kelly mccrimmon mcphee did a great job they own that draft or and then can't even call it an, like it's expansion whatever they with the rules they had in place the guys that they picked up like you know they picked up they got tuck from minnesota and then they move guys at the right time so tuck is, ends up going to bring back eichel the decisions they've made you have to appreciate that the the management from the gm George McPhee, by the way, was the GM before Kelly McCrimmon was. Now, Kelly McCrimmon became GM because Vegas said, we're not going to let you go be a GM somewhere else. So they did that internal promotion, kind of like what Colorado did with their current GM, with Chris McFarland. They're going to lose him. 
because somebody else will hire him. So they promote it upward. Isn't right? McCrimmon a Manitoba boy? Yeah, from Brandon. Yeah, that's what I thought. And you look at this roster of Manitobans, it's just littered with them. I know. I know. I think that every time, too, it's like, fuck. You know, Zach Whitecloud. Right in their know. backyard. That's where they got like a big chunk of their team. And he was and he was ownership and GM in Brandon in the Western Hockey League before going to the NHL level. I think he had to sell his Western Hockey League share of the team when he became the Vegas. Like signed to work with Vegas as an assistant GM and then became the GM. But yeah, Mark Stones, Winnipeg. Keegan Colsars from Brandon. There's a whole bunch of them. This roster is basically um, built around good Western Hockey League players. Yeah, and they play like it too, right? A lot of them play with an edge of that greediness to them, that physicality. I forgot about Brett Howden, who's also yep. from... <laughs> Man, does he get under a lot of people's skin, eh? He's he's become one of those players. He's a good player, though. He is. Now, you did mention their goalie tandem. Aiden Hill right now is injured. So I want to make that clear that they do right now have Logan Thompson basically carrying the load now with Yuri Patera as the goalie that's come up in the backup role. So right now, Aiden Hill is injured and Shea Theodore is actually on with Alex Martinez still on long-term injured reserve yet they're still finding ways to win shit both those guys long-term yeah LTIR they're not listed just as you know injured on scratches so yeah they're on injured reserve right now and then your favorite team Vancouver like well no actually we're gonna talk about LA before Vancouver LA before Vancouver right yeah just because we're going to talk about how they got their ass kicked against Winnipeg for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> we we are. And, and and how much the LA Kings fans on Twitter and social media are pissed off <laughs> after that game or just going off on tangents about that trade now. There's a lightning rod of a trade, right? Oh, yeah, man. For how much he's getting paid to now. Like, imagine that. Like that was like us with Blake Wheeler last year. He's getting paid eight million to be a third line center and has like twelve points so far. He floats in and out. Eh? He's like one of those guys. He did that with us last year, especially at the end uh, toward the stretch at the end. I remember, I think it was the like, one playoff game. He just checked out and just stopped playing. Remember that? He was just he was brutal. It's like he can be a, a extremely impactful, dominant player at times. Just ask the Leafs and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right and then other times he kind of disappears he's he's a bit of a ghost casper the ghost it's hollywood though i remember watching that time in columbus and i still think even in the playoffs when you know winnipeg was in playoff series he never elevated yeah i don't know what uh jets fans were thinking i just thought this now but it's kind of like if you meet a girl and she cheated on her ex with you or she she cheated on her boyfriends before she's probably going to cheat on you too right and when you look at Dubois, how he left Columbus, there's a lot of memes going around about him just like tearing out in a vehicle with like doing donuts and shit like that. I don't know if you remember those when he came to Winnipeg. He kind of stopped playing for Columbus, was was benched a couple times, I believe, and was having like Hollywood attitude with them. And then he turned around and did the same thing with us. You know, like he didn't get to be the number one star. He was he was one B here though. He's he's not that in LA. And I think he probably expected to be. 
But I mean, you have to play that way to be that. At some point, I often think that Dubois and Kopitar kind of switch spots. But I said that last podcast where I said the way Kopitar is playing, sit around a little while longer, PL Hollywood, because Kopitar is uh, going to be. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be <laughs> another Pavelski play, but he's fucking 40. Oh, I believe it. And I'm not a fan of LA winning it, but I got respect for when they were winning it, you know, that Kopitar was that good, that Drew Doughty is that good. Like it, people are always talking about the rebuilds and everybody is starting now to use the LA Kings as a template for doing a quicker turnaround on a rebuild. And it made me think short of Jonathan Quick, and they did hold on to him as long as they could till last year when things were really bad and they moved on from him. I get that. But what did they keep of their cup winning team? They kept their cornerstone defenseman, Drew Doughty, even their through number, some number struggles. Number one center, Kopitar. And their number one center. And then some of the character pieces that they've, like Trevor Lewis came back this year. That's part of the cup winning team um, is another guy that's there. My thing is that you really ideally want to keep, if you can, an elite goalie through a rebuild, although it means you're not going to get the number one overall pick because you probably don't end up last with an elite goalie. You keep your cornerstone defenseman at all costs. And you Speaking keep of which, a- how about Johnny Quick? <laughs> Playing pretty big games lately. LA, he was the cornerstone goalie for LA, right? Yeah, he was. Now he's playing Unreal in New York. You haven't been paying attention to LA prior to the game against Winnipeg, though. The Commonwealth got lost, by the way. They finally did lose on the road. Yes, However, we jinxed them. Man. <laughs> they, well, I told you that's the game you think that they're not going to have any trouble winning, that they'll end up losing. 16, 6, and 4, 36 points, plus 29 goal differential. By the way, best in the Western Conference, 692 point percentage. They have 36 points. They're the only team that hasn't played 27 games. And that's why we're talking about them second, Warren, is because I would like to remind Vancouver fans that at the 27-game mark, because Vancouver's played more games, they had 35 points, which is a point less than L.A., give or take how L.A. does in the next game. Meaning even if L.A. loses their next game, at the 27 equal games played, they will still have had more points than Vancouver. Vancouver's just played a lot more games. And I just know that I want to get under the skin of people in Vancouver. Just no respect. Isles, two goals in the third, and then get the OT winner. That ends LA's NHL record road wins to start a season at 11. Oh, and hey, then, it's, it's worth mentioning, man. Uh, they were up 2 nothing in that game. Yeah. And but, three straight, right? And yep. fast forward in the week, same shit happens. Then... Ex-King goalie Jonathan Quick had one goal against and 25 saves for their first regulation loss on the road 4-1 in New York. So that's why I said you mentioned Jonathan Quick, and Jonathan Quick gave the in-regulation first loss to LA this that's season. That's got to feel good for him, right? <laughs> yeah, on a back-to-back. Well, exactly, because he got shipped off to Columbus, then ended up in Vegas, but then wasn't good enough to be playing and then signed really as a backup in New York. And nobody really thought much of it other than they're like, oh, that's really risky. And he's having a good year. He's had a he return. He was feisting year. that game too. I believe it was that game, right? Where there was some chip. Oh, motivation. Yeah. Motivation to do something 
against the team, but he's part of that cup winning tradition, which gets to the point. I think you need to keep your cornerstone defensive guy, keep a, a major, at least one or two pieces of your forward group. And ideally, like I said, potentially a goalie while doing a rebuild of a cup winner so that Kopitar teaching Byfield right now, Doughty teaching this defense group, winners are winners. And it should be from your own franchise and that culture. And LA did that. It's a big difference to what Chicago is going to attempt to do here and film is. Yeah. And, and even if he wasn't playing first line, say Kopitar actually was second line or third line at this point, I still feel like you'd bring a lot to the table from a leadership perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And it's like teaching positive habits, you know, with like training and how to treat your body and how how to handle dealing with reporters, kind of some of the off-ice stuff, right? Yeah, like a level of professionalism. Yeah. And to just to help them with the ups and downs of the season, right? Because, you know, the adjustment from when you're young from being the top player on your team and then to be a little bit lower and how to deal with less minutes and still be productive and uh yeah just transitioning from say playing whether it's playing in junior or the american hockey league or overseas right having guys like talk you through um some of those tough moments like nobody can help you more than players that have been through it like it's different coming from a coach and it's that are character players like this is my whole thing when i looked at elite and character right when you can have that combination of those guys like that helps shape the culture of your team, right? So when you look at Ottawa, who still can't get out of their doldrums, even with all the drafting they've been able to do, Mark Stone's in Vegas. He's not in Ottawa. Who would have been a real great role model character guy for Brady Kachuk? And I think about that every time. Yeah, and I, I hear you saying, yeah, Mark Stone, he's he's a great leader and he's obviously he's won a cup now. Like, so yeah. clearly he wasn't the problem in Ottawa. No, he's the one guy of a couple guys he would have kept as part of that Ottawa that had gone on the, you know, the one playoff run from that last kind of group before they wanted to do the reset, but they let all those guys go. You and... need guys that play both sides of the puck and that take, take a genuine enjoyment out of it. Right. I like being good on both sides. Cause then everybody else, has to do it, right? It's not an option. If your top players like to just uh, fly by the seat of their pants and just play offensively and take little shortcuts, then the young guys are going to follow suit. See, now that's a perfect segue to Vancouver. Yeah. You'll love that. Vancouver, 29-1, and 41 points, plus 41 goal differential. That is the best in the Western Conference. And a 6 83 point percentage that's third in the pacific and western conference but they do sit in point second in the pacific division and western conference four three home win over carolina carolina didn't win a game in western canada is that correct i think they lost to everybody on that trip did they not warn who's that la carolina Carolina. They lost in Winnipeg. They lost Edmonton, Calgary, and and then they lost in Car in in Vancouver. They went over four in Western Canada, going over the last couple weeks. So it's not really notable that Vancouver beat them because Edmonton beat them, Calgary beat them, Winnipeg beat them. 
They lost all those games. Elias Peterson, game-winning goal and two assists versus Carolina. Then Vancouver had a 4-1 home win to Tampa Bay and a 4-0 home win over Florida. We're going to call this about Kuzmenchens, which is Andre Kuzmenko's struggles were making news and his availability to potentially be moved, much like we heard about Connor Garland earlier in the year, Vancouver. Now, actually, let's be honest about this thing I should say about Vancouver. They have been the most active at making trades over the last while of any team in the National Hockey League. There's some crazy, like the last five of nine trades in the NHL involve Vancouver in some way, like substantially, that they've done a lot of trades. Patrick Alvin, the general manager. But you remember that, right? Like we started the year where his best are going to be on the team. Now he's the leading goal scorer. Then there was the news about Connor Garland. Now it's Andre Kuzmenko as the latest out of Vancouver. To... Didn't he just get a sweet goal like last game or the game before then? Is he yeah. really doing that bad? Well, no, not since they basically went public and said, you know, we could uh, move on from him. Because I think he was at five goals at the time that that happened. Uh, he's only got six now. It had to be less than that. Because he's got a couple since that, by the way. You're correct. In the game over Tampa Bay, Kuzmenko got a power play goal. Brock Besser had a natural hat trick. Thatcher Demko had a 36 save shutout for his third this year on Roberto Luongo night against Florida. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and they chatted Lou and uh, he made a couple big saves, just like shutout. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Luongo played for both Florida and Vancouver in his career. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty fitting that that was the game they did that. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Kuzmenko opened the scoring, by the way, in the win over Florida. Dakota Joshua had two goals. And I really want to mention that, not to dwell on St. Louis, but Dakota Joshua was a depth player in St. Louis, prime age player that they just didn't offer a contract to and let go sign with Vancouver. That's how Vancouver got Dakota Joshua. Yeah, he's got 10 points in 29 games. Yeah, he's a actual six of those are goals. So bottom six guy who contributes. And he is only 27. He's a prime age player. It's the type of guy St. Louis should still have on their roster, but doesn't. And Brock Besser had a power play goal putting him up to 22 for the year in Vancouver. We saw that one coming, man, eh? That's crazy. He's, he's having a healthy year. Yeah, nobody had that on the bingo card for a guy that was getting talked about being moved, being at 22 goals. But yeah, Kuzmenko did play better since it got out that, you know, they're looking at, you know, potentially moving on from him. But we'll we'll see how that turns out because, like I said, Connor Garland. They were talking about that. We haven't heard anything about Connor Garland lately, have we? No. But Connor Garland only has two goals on the season. Yeah, but Kuzmenko makes more than Garland, so I guess based on again the salary for the production, 
But yeah, points per game. It's almost double. Kuzmenko. Look at it right here. Kuzmenko is averaging 14.55 a game, and Garland is 13.10. Like, that's not that drastic of a difference. And one guy, Kuzmenko, has 17 points. Yeah. And uh, Garland has 10. So, yeah. And you're looking at 0.6 million of a difference in salary. Yeah. I'd be thinking I'd be wanting to move Garland way before I'd be thinking of moving Kuzmenko. It's almost like I want to go back to that Andrew Kopp scenario in Winnipeg and how everybody's like, oh, we can't trade Andrew Kopp. And I'm like, well, are you going to pay him $5 million next year? No. Well, then trade him. Connor Garland playing on the third line at 4.95, just under nine, is not good value. I always tell you about that. It's like three... 3.5 max is where you want to be at. When the salary goes up, you can get it nearer to four. That's going to be proper cap structure. And the issue with this is that Connor Garland should be playing top six because he's making top six money. When you're at 5 million, you should be playing top six and he's not, you know? So that's where the concern is. But then what good team in the National Hockey League is throwing Connor Garland in the top six unless they have an injury? right now that's the other thing but you've got to eat on that if you're getting connor garland at 50 percent retention by vancouver then you've got connor garland about where you need him to be in a bottom six role and then that's all right production i guess not very good two goals but no that's the reality and that's why he doesn't move and then what are you getting in return for connor garland right you can't be asking for very much so we're going to move on to the uh top three in the central division Starting with Colorado, 18, 9, and 2, 38 points, plus 17 goal differentials, 655 point percentage. Okay, so the abs flicker and then they uh, ignite their flame. Colorado was all in a hurting place, right? They lost to Winnipeg. They followed that up with a 5 2 home loss to Philadelphia. Goalie Ivan Prozvatov was in net versus Philadelphia. Then they got the 6 5 home win to Calgary. Gorgiev. Five goals against, 17 saves, pulled after two periods. A three-goal comeback in the back half of the third with Rantanen getting the game-tying goal to end a nine-game goal streak and a breakaway Nathan McKinnon game-winning goal. And it happened in regulation, right? Yeah, in regulation. Love that. <laughs> no, no point for Calgary. Yeah, they self-destructed. They look like a destined-to-be competing for the lottery with a loss like that. And then there was a 5-1 home win to Buffalo for Colorado to do out the stretch. And actually, I should mention, Thomas Tatar got his first goal as an av against Calgary. No and way. Kale McCarr, I told you to watch, even watch the highlight packet that I watched that game. That was insane. Calgary blew two leads. Colorado came back in the third. McCarr had a howitzer of a power play goal. It looks to me that all their big boys showed up, eh? Ratman, Makar, McKinnon. In that game, and, it's, and in yeah. the third, they just took over. You know, it's that whole thing with Calgary. It's like, you know what they need? They need their elite players to step up. And then you say, do they have any elite players? Anyways, moving on. Versus Buffalo, Nishnushkin had two goals. And about the only thing great about it is that Rantanen, after ending his nine-game goal streak, talked shit, Warren, oh, yeah. but another player's dad. What? To the media, yes. 
Miko Rantanen's rant aimed at Arturi Lekkonen's dad, who is in media overseas because they're both Finns. And so Lekkonen's dad was basically in Finnish, quoted as to saying that Miko Rantanen had too fun of a summer to explain his current goal streak and not performing up to snuff as translated and then got back to Colorado, but it was all over. Are him and Lekkonen like friends? Yeah, they are. And they still are. And Rantanen's spoken to Lekkonen about it, but he's still after getting that goal that ends up being the game tying goal. What was the response though? What did he, what did he say in response to that? I don't know. I have not heard from Arturi Lekkonen's dad, and I don't know if that would even be in English or translated, but... No, Rantanen. Yeah, what do you say? Well, he just basically said that that goal was for Arturi Lekkonen's dad, who's been talking shit, and you shouldn't talk shit about (laughs) stuff that was basically untrue, meaning he didn't have a... that he wasn't off-season training and that, you know, all this stuff was just made up. Don't make stuff up. It wasn't in in fun and, and in jest. It was serious. Mm-hmm. Ah, shit. That's yeah. awkward. And they've got the dad trip coming up. So, <laughs> uh, Matthew comes down for it. Yeah. Well, he's got to be there for it now. So, Colorado has righted the ship. They have a big game against Winnipeg on Saturday, which, by the way, when I, when I was looking ahead through the schedule, even heading up to Christmas, Warren, there aren't too many big divisional games, not even big conference games, but this one with Winnipeg and Colorado stands out as both teams next game on Saturday. And so that's kind of a big thing. Yeah, that's huge because because of the fact that they beat them in Colorado, you know they're going to come back and want to do the same to the Jets, right? Similar they, to the LA situation, but reverse. And right now they've actually rested Gorgiev because Prozatov even was in net for the Buffalo win, but I'm they have to be going back to Gorgiev and Winnipeg. I would just be surprised if they let Prozvatov play in Winnipeg. Although he did come in and pick up the win with uh, not allowing a goal in that comeback against Calgary and then got the win with one goal against against Buffalo. To lose twice to Winnipeg there, that's like an eight-point swing, right? Because those are yeah. four-point games. So that's yeah, why just, the ones to Dallas hurt so much for Winnipeg at the start of the season. This is why, and as far as I'm concerned, I think, like I said, Colorado's right at the ship. Their star players are being their star players. I'm not sure about the goaltending right now in Colorado because I'm not saying that you're going to go and run with Prozvatov, who you know really is an American Hockey League goalie at best, not even technically really an NHL backup that they you know grabbed off of waivers. Was Gorgiev a net when they played the Flames and allowed five goals again? Yeah. He was pulled after two because of it. Yeah. There you go. And that's the last time he's been in the pipes. Yeah, I like that head-to-head, head-to-head matchup with Helly right now because he's locked in. Yeah, and that's the whole thing on it is that I think Colorado's now firing. I just wonder about that goaltending in that matchup. Now, Gorgiev may come and play his best game, right? He might steal a game now. So it's possible it could go either way. I'm curious. That's what makes that so much more interesting is if they go back to Gorgiev, how does he respond after losing the net and against a goalie that, as you said, Connor Hellebuck is just moving up the goalie statistical charts. From where he was, like, you know, it's like started from the bottom, now we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Drop a little Drake. 
uh fucking but yeah because well, you have to explain that you have to explain that to this apparently warren we have a rock audience too by the way you know those uh the year end the spotify things where they do yeah. the i i watched our shows one and and apparently like you know rock and alternative music are our listeners like go-to's for music and then like hip-hop is like third Oh, right on. They're right up my alley then, right up your alley then. Well, yeah, so I guess for those that don't know, he's a bad actor from Canada and a bad rapper, but he's super famous and he sold a lot of albums. So I guess there's that. He's also the jinx of Canadian sports, which is why Shohei Itani didn't come, because as soon as Drake puts up puts on a Shohei Itani jersey and posts it on social media, being the fucking nut hugger, the fucking clout chaser that he is, uh, it backfired and the Jays didn't get him. I'm not sure if you know about all that, but like it's just classic Drake style. But yeah, <laughs> Canadian rapper, a bit of a mumble rapper. Um, mumble rapper, that's the correct de- term for this. Definitely no Eminem. Yeah, he's got no, uh, his cadence and his tone is just shite. No uh, flow. Ain't my thing. Yeah, no flow. If you put like slow beats to like audiobooks, that's how you end up with Drake. <laughs> yeah. And now he's kind of just famous for being famous, you know? He's like the Canadians, Kardashians, or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, so Helly was struggling bad. Like, he couldn't believe how long he had a below 900 save percentage. And now he's he's jumping up in all the ranks, the saves above expected, all the things, all the stats. And so it's a good time if, if Colorado is getting hot and the PK unit for the Jets is on fire right now and uh, gaining confidence every single game. So the only, the only question mark in that game is the Jets have got to match special teams for sure the pk has got to be solid but they, they can't have to, they have to score as many on the power play their power play has been anemic they have to not take a penalty against they can't Colorado. figure out how to not don't trust Nate schmidt because he's most likely the guy that's going to take a penalty he's so bad like i like i don't want it's like there's so many good things happening in the jets world minus casey's injury was a super brutal hit to the team and then but fucking Nate Schmidt, man, like they, ah, these other podcasts and these fucking other people uh, on these networks covering the Jets, they love Nate. He must be really good in the room, eh? Like he's got to be great with everybody, like super affable. He's always smiling, laughing about shit. But man, he still has one point on the season and he's running the second power play unit. Isn't that why they called Chisholm up was to be on the, to run the power play? He gets two games and then the boot. And they had Stanley that fucking absolute pylon fucking useless giraffe playing instead of them. So it's like, I feel like the best time to play would play against a team like the Az that are very fast. Like Nate Schmidt's not very fast anymore. Like maybe in his prime, but he doesn't have the wheels to keep up with that. And you definitely can't play Logan Stanley. Just think about how bad McKinnon made him look the last time they played. Yeah, posterized him. Definitely. There's a, that's usually a basketball term, posterized, like when somebody just dunks on somebody, but fucking McKinnon dunked on Stanley. <laughs> he really did. That got standing Ooh. up and stuck and stuck oh. on the ice. And then McKinnon's like fucking five steps past him in a blink of an eye and then gets as all the time in the world the Deacon Heli because there's zero back pressure. So yeah. we'll go to Winnipeg before we go to Dallas. Technically by points, Winnipeg is ahead of Dallas. 17, 9, and 236 points plus 17 goal differential, 643 point percentage. It's a point better than Dallas. 
two points below Colorado who have played an extra game. Plus, you've already brought up, we already just went into one. Well, yeah, and, it's all, also worth noting. Like they, they already played the Az, had a great game, and now this game coming up could probably be the game of the week, right, on Saturday. Yeah. So it might be the best game for the conference of two teams that are going to be, you know, in the playoffs. Yeah, so even if you're out of market and happen to have the NHL network or stream or whatever, uh, I think that's the game you're going to want to tune into because they never have a boring game. Winnipeg had a 4-2 road win in Anaheim. They lost Kyle Connor, which Warren alluded to, on a knee-on-knee from Anaheim's Ryan Strom. Just remember to get the right Strom. Fucking bullshit. Five in a game, no supplemental discipline. Like, that blows my mind. Like, I mean... I, you can say, oh, he didn't like he didn't throw his leg out there, but he kept it solid. He braced for it and like kind of like ran through it, right? Like he didn't try to avoid. He had time. That's what they said in the broadcast, and I agree. He could have avoided that and hit him with the shoulder, right? Like shoulder to chest there. But I think he knew he wasn't going to be able to like because just because how fucking jukey Casey is and how he moves, I think he just realized he wasn't going to be able to control him otherwise. So he just left his leg out there. I think that was just as bad, if not worse, than the Lazad hit that uh, Velarde was super pissed about. Yeah, I agree. I think it should be suspendable. I think the NHL far too often just suspends guys that, if it's Ryan Hartman of Minnesota and not Ryan Strom of Anaheim, he gets at least three games. For sure. And if it was McKinnon or Matthews, you know, Crosby, that's that's 100% a suspension. Yeah. Three, three games men. Three so, games minimum, yeah. but probably not more than that. But it's got to be a guy that's got a reputation that they basically just want to suspend because of the way he plays. I will say what was no- notable about the, that game in Anaheim is that the the, the Jets were down and yeah. they fought fought their way back, right? Yeah. It's kind of like story of the week. Up. Down two goals and then scored four straight. And then later on when they play in the third. LA they score five straight after being down two nothing. So that shows character and resilience, which uh this Jets team has in abundance. And like losing Casey is no joke. Like he's playing some of the best hockey of his career this year. And we miss him on the power play, like big time. Like for those who don't watch the Jets that much, like think like like Ovechkin, but on the other side, one T or Austin Matthews or whoever you want to add on to this, Tim. Like he's lethal and he can score in so many different ways. You know what? The one that I often think of, and again, so it's a Canadian team, but it's kind of the way Vancouver uses Elias Pedersen on their power play. If you take Elias Pedersen off the Vancouver power play, that's their like one T from that side of the dot. Or say if you're like a Chicago fan, like, you know, you're seeing how Bedard releases the puck. That's like Casey, how he releases the puck and gets shot off it. How he uses screens effectively, how he he just uh, he changes the entire game. Every time he's on the ice, he makes plays, you know. And and to still find a way to come back and get that dub is huge. To win in LA after losing to San Jose, which was honestly wasn't a terrible game. Their special teams just let them down. They're over five on the power play. If you're gonna sum up why they lost the game, that's why they lost the game. I sum up they lost a point because Logan Stanley was in the lineup. Well, yeah, that's uh. That's, That's it. There. And so yeah. all you have to say about that. And wasn't he minus two? I don't even know what his minus was. I was just like, he's out there supposedly in the lineup because he can kill penalties. He can't kill penalties. He fires it into the official to then create the turnover that leads to that game winning goal. And yeah. with the amount of time left in the game, he should have been on the bench, not on the ice. 
legit what I was thinking when that happened to him. Like, why is he even on the ice right now? He's your seventh defenseman. It's stupid. And they got him out of the lineup again and against LA. He was out. Period. Yeah, and I'm definitely not gonna sing uh praises for Schmidt by any stretch because again, when you look at the value, like the amount of money he gets paid to do what he does, he's not anywhere near fulfilling his uh value, you know, costs of the team. And I think that he's definitely slow to step or two and um just isn't creating much offensively and he makes his own share of mistakes defensively, but fucking I still will take him over having that big lug nut in the in the game. Yeah. And winning against a team like LA on the road, getting two dubs on the road against teams like Colorado and LA, I got a lot of respect for those two teams. Even though even though I sometimes shit on uh LA because of DeWall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and Gabe Velarde had four points of goal and three assists in that first game back in LA. Yeah. Mark Shifley, two goals. Nick Ehlers, two goals. Winnipeg hey, was on a back-to-back. They get the good five there was no panic. in LA. No panic in, uh, after San Jose when they couldn't produce. Like they had, they made, had to readjust the lines, obviously losing KC. They put Nikolai Ehlers, who is the best fit, um, the most similar skill set to KC. Although uh, I would say he's a lot less predictable in his, his movement and shit, but like his speed and agility... And sure enough, even though they had they had some chances they didn't capitalize in San Jose, they found their groove and that line was unstoppable against LA. You know, just just absolutely flying, playing both sides of the puck. All three of the guys really, especially Shife and Velarde, like down lower, making great defensive plays and and creating fast transition, amazing passes by amazing pass by Velarde to get uh, Nikolai Ehlers on that breakaway. The timing hitting him perfect in stride was amazing. And then Ehlers' both shots were like barred down beauties, eh? But he got elevated at the right time. And, you know, they're missing, you said, their leading goal scorer right now. It's a character win against an L.A. team. Mind you, L.A.'s been a better road team than they've been a home team. But it's a big win for Winnipeg. What I liked about it the most, though, man, is the fact that uh, they didn't just sit back and do the Dallas thing where they sit back and just kind of try to hold on to the lead, right? They they kept putting the pedal to the metal and, and pushing in the third period, right? Yeah, but they do have to fix the power play. And I don't think Nick Ehlers should be on the top power play unit. And I know everybody will go to task on me that for that. But what I found is that, first of all, if you take Nick Ehlers off the second power play unit, you might as well not have a second power play unit because... It's just you could just run out a normal line. I think they're just they're too perimeter, man. That's obvious. They they everything's to the outside. Shifley's like holds on to the puck for too long lately, and and Ehlers hold on the puck, pass it back to Morrissey, back to back to Ehlers, back to Morrissey, over to Shifley, back to Morrissey, and then if Morrissey can get it through, great, maybe get a chance. But they're not putting enough pucks to the net, you know. And yeah, even but like, Ehlers and Shifley, and this has been known want to be on that same half wall side and one of them has to be on the opposite side they tried Ehlers in that spot where KC was because he's the one out of it and Nick Ehlers is not that guy he's not Kyle Connor but if he's on that other side where Shifley is then he's more effective except then Shifley has to be in KC's spot it doesn't work just doesn't work, but the power play's been terrible man because we can say that Logan Stanley lost the game in San Jose Winnipeg going 0 for 5 on the power play is another reason they lost that game. Oh, yeah, that's what I said right off the top, man. Like, 
you can't go over for five on the power play to a team like the Sharks of all teams as well. They did a great job, mind you, of blocking shots, getting into lanes and shit, but there was not nearly enough traffic and there was not enough battles in front, scrambles, you know. That's how you create those seam passes by attacking the front of the net, you know, and it opens everything up for you. When you're just kind of sitting on the outside and let, letting the defense get, uh, have time to get positioned properly, like they're going to block everything, and that's what happened. And you got a guy that on the second power play unit, like Nate Schmidt, that you don't even want in the lineup, and yet he's playing power play in that second I know unit. that. That's what blew my mind. So they say, because what they said was, for those who don't know, is that they wanted Schmidt in the lineup so he could be an asset on the power play. An asset on the power play, he has one assist all season. He's going to be the one making plays, creating opportunities for others. How the fuck does that make any sense? I'd rather have the bomb like Brendan Dillon out there. Yeah. And he does a decent shot getting boxed through. Like, uh, I don't know. They just got to do something because uh, without Casey, they seem a little bit lost. And to win back-to-back games against the Owls, I think they're going to have to score. I'm going to say they're probably going to score at least, we'll say two goals to win the game because you got to figure the Owls are getting at least one power. Mm-hmm. I almost want to think that I would I'd take the over on that. I think it's going to be like five to four. Just the way Colorado's top players are playing, they're going to get a few goals and you're going to have to match it and hope that Colorado doesn't get goaltending. That's that's really score. Uh, the craziest part of the Jets season for those that are outside uh, this market and haven't watched many of their games. is like they're doing all this five on five. Like they're almost like they're just at the top of the central there or very close, right? They win this game against Colorado. They'll be tied for top of the central and their power play is like literally bottom third or I don't know. Are they 30th or 31st in the league now? I don't know. Somewhere around there. It's bad. So, I don't even want to look it up because it's so low. Like, I get why they put Nick Ehlers on the top unit because he's the next best player. Just doesn't have the chemistry. Sometimes the most talent is not the best combination, though, right? Like, even on the power play, everybody has a job to do and to be, and have their own assets that they bring to the table. Like, for me, Nikolai Ehlers can be a good passer, but he tries to thread the needle too much. You know, he tries to make too many of those cross-seam difficult passes and and then if you if you can't find the the pass you almost panic shoots you know and then you'll hit shin pads or miss the net it's like that's the spot i feel like perfetti should be because he's got great vision and i like that idea you put down shifley down to the bumper kind of like you know where blake wheeler used to be when he was here right in that bumper you put shifley there move perfetti to where ehlers is and then you put Ehlers where Shifley is. Because basically, I would think then yeah. the interchangeable. Okay, but the interchangeability of having Shifley in that bumper spot and Ehlers on that side of the half wall has them on the side they like being on. Then they could actually just loop around and create all sorts of havoc on that one side of the ice. Ehlers and Shifley need to be on the same side of the ice on the power play. I think that's the answer. There you go. Solved it. Yeah. The pig media steal my idea. Get it yeah. out there. Wouldn't be That's the first it. time. They're going to have to win the goalie battle, which they probably do with Hellebuck over whoever Colorado plays in that. But the second piece of that is that Colorado's power play scores. Period. Makar, Rantanen, McKinnon on that power play, Nishnushkin. They score, and right now Winnipeg's power play can't score. So and you, you could say co- they, they just need to not take penalties, but that's just not that's just not something that happens. Like it's very rare you go a game you don't take penalties. They're going to have to kill a couple. It's like, but they're not going to kill four or five against Colorado. 
Like they, the might kill and two. that could be the difference in the game, which is why Winnipeg. I, I think so too, but I also think the, the Jets, the Jets' power play is fucking due. You know, and they've had time last couple of days, right? I don't know. Was there a practice today? I don't know. But I don't know. That I, I think there was, and that was the. I think that's what I heard. I was listening to some other podcast. I don't know what it was, and they they said primarily they're working on power play. I think it was today or yesterday. Probably today. Let's fucking hope so because. It just would be like a huge moral victory. Owens knows that the power play is going to factor in. But yeah, ideally, I mean, the memo will be don't take any fucking penalties. You know, easier said than done. But that's with the, the speed of fucking with McCarr and fucking McKinnon, it's ranting in as well. But especially this, those two, like how fast they are, it's so hard to not take an interference penalty or a little hooking penalty, you know. So good luck. But yeah. their PK has been better lately, but it's just going to be tough. I just want them to go even. I don't want them. To, I don't even care if they win the special teams. They just have to be even. I think five and five, the way the Jets are playing right now, they're going to win the game if they can just be even with Colorado special teams, you know? No predictions. Your predictions haven't been that good lately, though, by the way. You had what LA the keeping their win streak in the Islanders. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a that's that's a hot take after the fact about you there <laughs> to say that you remotely thought that the Islanders were going to win. You didn't think the Islanders were going to win. I just thought it was that game that we expected that you know LA would keep it going on, which was the game. Yeah, I won. exactly. I, I, won. I expected a... them to keep it going. It's a trap game, but like yeah. even if it is trappy, like there's no <laughs> way they should lose to the Islanders who are brutal. Look, Winnipeg, Colorado, and Dallas are all equally as good this year. That's the storyline. So, yeah, special teams. Health is going to play a huge factor for sure, too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Colorado, who they have? Who do they have out of the lineup right now? Lekkonen, for one. Lekkonen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having too much time on his dad. His dad the has too much time on Sam's. Yeah, the defense, Gerard, who's in the player assistance program. Actually, right. that was one thing I wanted to talk about with Colorado out of context. But through this rough stretch, Colorado fans really don't have much love for Gerard, like Samuel Gerard, because right. I don't know. It's just like they have always like, well, Kale McCarr, one would be number reason. But secondly, they've always like, really since Bo Byram emerged, really give him more Devon Devontae's right defensively. Now of the group, like Sam Gerard is always when they're talking about off-season moves, oh well, we'll trade Gerard. Like they're always so quick to wanna move him out if they're gonna move anybody off their roster. And Sam Gerard's a really valuable piece. Colorado, they're not missing anybody under, up front, are they? Besides uh Lekkonen? That's expected to be there? No, that would be the big name. So that's big for Colorado. Like, they've struggled with health, like, the last couple of years, right? And Dallas, who's Dallas missing? Are they missing anybody? They seem like no, they've, they've been pretty much rolling out their regular lineup. Yeah. So They're I mean, one point behind Winnipeg, 16-8-3, and three, plus 11, 648 point percentage, which is slightly better than Winnipeg having played one last game. Colorado's played one more than Winnipeg. Winnipeg's played one more than Dallas. But at the 27 game mark, Dallas was 500 in their last nine stretch, but they actually were a point ahead of both Colorado and Winnipeg after 27 games. Like they're so close. 
Both Winnipeg and Colorado had identical records after 27 games. Both wins, losses, ties, identical. But Colorado would have technically been second because they had one more regulation win. What are they actually like power play? Do you know like where they are, like Colorado and Dallas, as far as like, are they're both top 10, I would imagine, right? Top five even? That's a good question. Colorado is actually 19.3, 18th in the league on the power play. That's surprising. Yeah. Okay. And Dallas is seventh at 25%. Makes sense. There you go. Yeah. Top 10. And Winnipeg, 24th at 16.3. That's better than I thought. <laughs> it's not <laughs> terrible. What about the PKs? 75.327th for Winnipeg. Yeah. They got a big hole to dig themselves out of. So makes sense. Yeah. Cause they were at the bottom there. They were. Uh, yeah. They were bottom theater. Dallas is fourth at 86.7, like a whole 10 point. And look at that right there. Seventh on the power play and fourth and PK. That's really solid special teams. And where, where's Colorado at? Sixth, 85.9. There you go. So Dallas by far the best special teams, but Colorado is still decent. Their power play is going to improve. It has to like they're too talented. But their PK being six, that's good. The Jets being bottom of the fucking league for both of those is, is that, that's the difference. That's the difference in those three teams right there. Okay, so Dallas had a six-one home loss to Vegas. It said this all came up sixes, by the way. Um, then they had a six-three home win over Detroit. So Jay Gowdinger was in net for all six goals against versus Vegas. Dallas actually was 0-1-2 versus Vegas head-to-head for the season. They've already played their three games against each other. They're all done. That's the only two games that Dallas played since our last podcast. They are home to Ottawa. So basically banking points night. Meryl Haskinen had his best game of the year against Detroit. Two goals and an assist. Worth noting. When do the Stars play the Sens? Is that tonight? Yeah. It's one of the games that'll be getting underway here shortly. Yeah. They're not playing their best hockey, but their their special teams are like legit, legit, which is, you know, what if like if those fall off, you know, like that that tells you their five on five play isn't isn't as good, you know? Yeah, but it isn't bad either. Although against yeah. Vegas they did I just expect- I did watch them against Detroit and every now and then teams lay an egg, but like that game was not even close. Like the perspective of St. Louis, who then didn't beat like Detroit beat them, and they're like, "Well, Dallas just doubled them, right?" So you look at it; that's the expected result based on Detroit's lineup. The fact that Vegas has Dallas's number, this can't be a good thing for morale. Like they cannot no. beat that team, and that's the team that knocked them out. That's the team, right? That yeah, was motivated to be playing against. That's why I that's what exactly up. what I was thinking, dude. It's like that's the team they want to beat the most, man. Knock their asses out of the playoff, go up, and they go on to win the cup. And like you think they really get up for those games. Like if you're losing, fine. If it's you know if it's a three-two game, fine. You know which the first two meetings were both in overtime. Okay, shootout yeah. losses. Yeah, but that last one's a real kick to the junk. You know mm-hmm. it happens. It's just they are going to, if they end up meeting in the playoffs, which may or may not happen, they would almost have to pretty much get to the conference finals again for it to happen. I'm not entirely sure they're the team that you put as a front runner out of there, but anything can happen. But I will say when we're looking at it, like one more thing on this, like if we take uh, 
you talked about Connor Hellebuck's now fifth in goals saved above expected at 10.6. Oh, He's- yeah, that's an interesting stat I have, man. It's like, well, it was uh, fucking Connor Hellebuck was, had 11 games in a row where he's uh, above. He's had above expected goaltending. That's the longest streak of the year, apparently, yeah. any goalie. So then... And Ottinger, not so much, though, right? He's now a minus 0.1, near to even, which has him 45th. Now, he had that, like, the he got tagged for all those goals, but he wasn't really that high above it to begin with. So that's 45th right now of all NHL goalies. Now, don't get me wrong, like, record-wise and his, you know, save percentage and those numbers are good, but... Yeah, he's not he's not stealing games. Like those aren't stealing game numbers. Aren't Wedwood's numbers better? I don't think so. No. No. Uh, well, at least on goals saved above expected cuz Wedgwood's at a minus 1.6 meaning it's like that negative number means that it's it's one it's a minus 1.6 that he's making saves above expected. You yeah. want to be on the positive side on that. Aiden Hill is day-to-day, by the way, but he's second right now. Thatcher Demko's moved back up to the top spot, by the way, at 16.2. Yeah, I think that's a pretty big stat to go off of nowadays, you know? The correlation between how good teams are doing and this goal saved above expected is something that I found a few years ago was just, hey, if a team's doing good, where where is it listed on here? Arizona's big run there, and Connor Ingram's in the top 10 in that, that statistical category. You know, like I said, even Bennington was in the uh, upper part of the goalies in the league in that spot. Is that a good segue for the Edmonton Oilers? Who basically- yeah, that's actually that's exactly where I was going to go with that. And say like, <laughs> I know like their goaltending has been better of late, but do they think it's do they think it's solved, or is there just offense on such fire? I know their numbers have gotten better and shit, but like, is that really who they're going to stick with down the stretch and? For the remainder of the season, or do you think they're still making calls about guys like Bennington or whoever you want to throw in there? Well, I think Bennington right now is logically, except the cap doesn't work for his number in Edmonton. That's what piece are you taking out of there? And it's not one year left, too. But I like that move. I like Edmonton getting a cup winner like Bennington. Like, what are the other options? Are you going to go with John Gibson? It's going to be price-wise just as expensive. And Gibson's AAV is 6.4.4 million with another three years after this on his contract. He's also never won a cup. Gibson was drafted in 2011. That's two years after Anaheim won its cup. So he wasn't on the cup-winning team, although he's played Anaheim his whole career too young to be on the cup winning team the farthest he's gone is in the 2016-17 when anaheim with him and net made the western conference finals and he actually didn't uh, make his debut until late in the 2013-14 season so he's never won it whereas bennington has won it can you trade uh and have them eat salary though and and get picks or no if you understand right now that they aren't going to make the playoffs. If you're the GM and you're in this process, you just got rid of your coach. <laughs> Never, I was going to say the GM will probably be fired. I'm saying like they're kind of in a upheaval, right? They let go of one of their longest term defensemen, right? They're in the process of making changes within the organization. Like 
wouldn't you move Bennington now or where his value is high and other teams are desperate? I feel like that'd be a good time to make that move. No, like I thought they should already done it to be quite honest with you. But from an Edmonton perspective, you do a three-way deal. How I would do it is I would get Chicago to trade for Jordan Bennington while St. Louis kept half the salary and then Chicago trades him to Edmonton and they retain another 50% of the 50, which is allowed to be done. And then Edmonton gets him at basically a quarter of his salary, which would actually, as long as one of the teams took back Jack Campbell, will work for the number for Edmonton. I think that's the way you have to go about doing it. So Jordan Bennington is... Is that because uh, the Hawks have lots of room? Yeah. That they can because use that salary? there's very few teams that have cap space to do this that would do this. Chicago knows they're not going to be competitive. Kyle Davidson won't even be a GM by the time they're competitive. That's how far away from being competitive, even with Connor Bedard, they are. They have nothing. They need. And to like get you way, said, you, you believe asses. in Hofer as a goaltender, right, for the Blues? Yeah. So if they if they believe in Hofer as a starting goalie and, and feel like he's ready, and there's not a huge drop off. That way, they could get rid of Bennington, like get something back, get a, get some picks back or whatever, and then obviously shed that cap a little bit of cap what you can't do right now is send bennington right to edmonton even at 50 percent retention because it's still three million no so you go to chicago but then so they edmonton would send campbell to chicago or they could send him to st louis st louis to, yeah to be part of the deal but bennington has to go to edmonton through chicago so chicago picks up three million of the tab and then keeps another 50 that's like a bit of a clusterfuck and everybody's got to be 100 percent behind yeah it. but then you could get jordan bennington over the next three years at 1.5 million yeah would which would actually work under their tech cap space or at least if they get them at 50 percent. but campbell has to go back the other way to one of the teams so yeah chicago's one of the few teams that's got cap space and most teams in the national hockey league don't have cap space including even St. Louis. So here's part of the issue with this. So too, Jack Campbell's on the books for three more years after this. And in fact, Bennington's contract comes up sooner. Somehow, even straight up Campbell for Bennington, there's still a million dollars, but I'm not sure that St. Louis has a million dollars to be able to keep it straight up one for one. And they're also then going to have Campbell on the books for three more years. And Bennington had, I think, two more years after this. Edmonton kind of needs to move Jack Campbell in a deal, but Bennington makes a million more. St. Louis can't even cover that in retention. They'd be over the cap with Campbell on their team. So do you understand why there's kind of a third party even in that deal? Yeah, I get it. Picking, Edmonton, up, picking but, up what you're throwing down. Yeah. Fucking- so that's where Chicago, real. but Chicago would then get Bennington and keep something like half would be ideal. Then Campbell could go back to St. Louis. They would save a million, but they're also going to get, I don't know, at least a first round pick. I would think essentially 3 million Chicago would deceit for whatever they get for it. A second, third round pick from Edmonton. 
St. Louis would save a million because they'd go from six to five million, but then they're on the books. And this is the thing because it's another three years. I don't know too many teams that are going to be like, well, Jack Campbell's going to be our backup goalie for five million for another three years. That's how much he's making. Yeah. Wow. That's craziness. Because they keep wanting to take, you know, Maple Leafs and pay them more than Toronto was paying them. I mean, the Oilers have been on an absolute tear lately, so you know they gotta they gotta have some shit brewing, something in the mix. Okay, yeah. So let's look over this: 13, 13, 1, 27 points plus four now on goal differential. They're on the positive side, exactly five hundred twenty-seven points, exactly at the twenty-seven game mark, which is why the only Pacific Division team actually in the playoff conversation is Edmonton after the top three of Vegas, LA, Vancouver, Edmonton's the only one in the wildcard conversation in the Western Conference from the Pacific, period. Full stop. That's it. 4-3 home win to Minnesota. Was that a crazy game or what? Minnesota was on a back-to-back, but McDavid undressing Marc-Andre Fleury yeah, you I didn't. don't think I saw it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think I saw that game. I thought you were watching that while we were recording. Oh, yeah, I, I watched the tail end of it. Yeah, I saw oh, okay. a couple of things with the tail end of it. But I didn't get, I wasn't, not like I was watching it the whole time. Go back and watch it. So he goes on the one side. Flurry comes out to challenge him. So he basically goes towards the goal line and then tucks it back behind him with Flurry out of the net. It's a thing of beauty. That was okay. bookended by defenseman Evan Bouchard's two goals. So he had the first goal in the game, and then he got the game-winning goal in that game. And the other big thing that happened in that game was everybody's favorite, Evander Kane, who gets written up but no suspension for a hit from behind on Minnesota defenseman Jonas Brodeen that has him not in the lineup since. So Minnesota's lost another top-four defenseman while losing that game. Long term, it's not going to be, he's not coming back on a day-to-day thing. Edmonton got a 4-1 home win over New Jersey. New Jersey was on a back-to-back. 4-1 home win to Chicago as the Connors got to play each other for the first time. And Bedard's goal was so sick. Do you see it? I know Bedard is a really talented player, but until that Chicago team has actually a team around him, I'm really not watching Chicago. No, it's worth poking your head in to watch a few shifts to b- shifts of a dart every night. Like it just is. Like the goal that he gets he, on the first, it was like I think it was the literally the shift before. I was talking to Dan about it after because he watches a lot of those games to watch Bedard. Or we were saying how crazy it was. Like the, yeah, I think it was the shift before where Bedard's just flying into the zone and he's got like there's three or four. It might have been four. It's like three or four Oilers that collapse onto him alone. Like, and he just, he lets go to the puck too late and they're able to like stop the play Dennis tracks. And uh, it was like the next time down the ice, it's the same thing. They're all trying to, they're all like zoning into him. And then he is the angle that that he takes the shot from he, and he gets the timing. He gets it off just like a half second earlier. It's almost identical to what the play before was, but he gets it off a little bit, a little bit sooner and just changes the angle slightly to like avoid the back pressure. Like he felt the pressure. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it was just an unbelievable goal and just snaps it, snaps it home. Man, it's, it's just a beauty. Like I know the Hawks are terrible, but like 
Bedard does amazing things every game. Later on the week, he has an amazing backhand sauce pass. To, I think it was Kurashev. It's another highlight reel goal. So it's just like it's just it's enjoyable to watch him make plays. Like the rest of the team is just grinders and they don't really do that much. But and then uh, yeah, then I think McDavid had a pretty big night. No surprise. No goals though. Yeah, no goals. And then they had a seven four at back to Edmonton home loss to Tampa. You notice I just don't even Chicago comes up. I'm like, yeah, all right. Tell me when you get a new GM and some draft picks to put around this kid. The kid's gonna be good. I just you know the kid already is good, man. He's he's a hell of a player already. He just has nobody around him. But even without anybody, he's still making plays, man. Like it's and then so does it's just elite. So does Chicago want to spend next year and use this cap space and not have dead cap? I don't think they will next year. I think they're going to eat. I personally think they'll eat another year and just, they're probably like, I don't know, three or four years away. I think they're longer. I think they're making moves to try to make their team better. Yeah. I think they are going to be the next Ottawa senators. I think we're going to be a decade where Connor Bedard is going to be waning. He may, he may go longer for relevance with, the team to the kind of extent that Connor McDavid did in Edmonton, as far as getting some playoff and playoff wins. That's how bad that Chicago team is. I really hope not. I hope they give them something, even though they're in the central division or whatever. Like I think it'd be a lot better if the Hawks were more competitive and had a few players for him to play with. So it just stunts the growth, you know, captain Picard, you wanted me to bring him up. I mean, goy Calvin, Pickard. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys <laughs> first you guys first W with the yeah. Oilers. One goal against 26 saves. First NHL win in almost two years. And that went over Chicago. Good for the room. You want me to bring good for the room? Oh yeah, that's what they were saying. That uh Pickard's Pickard. good for the room. Oh yeah, the joke was the guy said on the broadcast that did I not tell you this or did I tell you this already? No, you didn't, but you said oh. to bring it up. Oh, yeah, right on. I totally forgot about it. But uh, apparently Wayne Gretzky, you wouldn't expect this from, but it's funny. I guess at some point somebody said something about uh, players that are being good for the room. He says, well, if they're good for the room, if they aren't good on good on the ice, then that's where they need to stay in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was fucking hilarious because uh, he's such a nice guy, you know, but I'm just kind of like take that dignity. Like, well, that's great if you're good for the room, but. You can't make plays on the ice. You need to stay in their locker room. And <laughs> that's where you belong. Let's say that. Wayne knows. No passengers. Yeah. No pylons. Unless you're going to, like, fight for him like McSorley did, you know? <laughs> McSorley was a, well, was a pylon, but but could fight. Yeah. At his back. But that fucking Lightning Oilers game is pretty nuts, man. Eh? It was like uh, Lightning get up 2 nothing, and then... Uh, Oilers march back and score what three straight? Was it three or three yep. straight? Yeah, take the Beat lead after two, and, and then uh, and Tampa had the weird like two empty net goals. You don't see that very often. Steven Stamkos four goals, part of a five goal third for Tampa Bay. Goalie Stuart Skinner five goals against seventeen saves. Not a good night, and no. he fell on the knife afterwards, saying he's the reason they didn't win. This is the first time in Stamkos' career that he got four goals. Just kind of crazy. You would have thought with the like 500 plus goals that he has that he would have had uh, a four goal game in there, but apparently not. 
Yeah, reached 200 power play goals as well, which puts him the 20th guy in NHL history to do that. Empty net goals make it look a lot worse than it was to lose 7-4, but you know, that's a 5-4 game and two empty netters. So. And that got the win streak for Edmonton at 8. So they go 8-1-0 and over the last nine, which is a 16-point swing. And when you consider that over the first 18 games they played, they amassed 11 points. This stretch they got 16 points is really in that elite six category as far as point totals, meaning over a nine-game stretch with this system that I've been using here, Warren, only Vegas's 8-0-1 start to start the season is a better point total marker, which is why Edmonton's there. But they need to address the goaltending if they really want to be, if they well, want to make some Their noise. power play is such a huge part of what they do. I mean, they're two for four on the power play. Fucking tons of shots, man. 57 shots. Jesus Christ. Vasilevsky made some crazy-ass saves in that game, too, from what I saw. He's really responded well since the, that seven-goal game that he uh, had put on him like a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. Yeah, there was one where he came back. Was that the the home and home with Dallas? Wasn't that where Dallas put six? Yeah, on that him? was it. Yeah, right. And then he, and then he played where well, he got he shut out. shut out Dallas the next game. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they played on real since then. So, well, they need them to be. They're not the same team as they were when they were winning cups. Now, this is my whole point on this. Edmonton's big stretch gets them back to relevancy, back to five hundred in this chase for one of the two wild card spots. And then there's really four Central Division teams that are otherwise going to get one or both of them and have Edmonton out of the mix. Arizona, 13-13-2, also 500, plus four goal differential, and 28 points, one more than Edmonton having played one more game played. They actually had at the 27-game point total one more, although Arizona struggled this past week after their homestand and beating all the former Stanley Cup champions. They had a 5-3 road loss in Boston. Arizona never plays good in Boston. They had a 5-2 road loss in Buffalo. They had a 4-2 road loss in Pittsburgh, which was Arizona on a back-to-back. Apparently, Arizona, as an organization, plays worse in Pittsburgh than they do in Boston. So it's not a good road trip for them. And they are home to San Jose, hopefully to get back on track for the Yotes because they had a desert of results and not getting any points on this uh, road trip that they were on. Might say they're thirsty for dubs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little dehydrated, worn down. Michael Carcone, Lawson Krause, and Clayton Keller had goals on the loss in Boston. It was Goalie Corral Vamelka's first start since November 22nd, and that was in Buffalo. Four goals against 33 saves. Did not have a good night, and that's probably why Arizona fell short in Buffalo. Michael Corcone had a shorthanded goal in that game. Now in the Pittsburgh game, Jake Gensel and Jeff Carter, two goals each, and That was weird because all the goals were special teams goals in the Pittsburgh-Arizona game, except for one that was an empty netter. Four power play goals, one shorthanded goal in that 4-2 game, and an empty netter. 
I can't ever remember seeing that. Yeah, I was going to say, weird. you don't see that every day. Yeah. Even Arizona's two goals were actually special teams goals. The only even strength goal was actually into an empty net, which really almost shouldn't count as one, right? Because it's six on five. But needless to say, Arizona's got a backup goaltending problem because Karel Vamelka is... I actually listened out of Arizona in the last week and talking about, you know, Edmonton needing a goalie and even Arizona being like the, the media in Arizona being like, you know, you'd have to be under a rock to think that Corel Vamelka has any trade value right now. You couldn't get him off the books, even at the low salary he's at. He certainly isn't a guy that if you're Edmonton, you target, they're not going to give them Connor Ingram. I mean, the only reason they have, you know, they're 500 is because, you know, Connor Ingram wins games in that and Corral Moelka doesn't. So Nashville, 16, 13, and three, 32 points, which technically would put them in the first wildcard spot right now. Plus two goal differential, 552. They had a 4-0 road loss in Toronto. A 2-1 road win in Montreal, 3-2 overtime home win versus Philadelphia. And that's kind of, you know, Philadelphia stuff to play against. And they will play tonight on the road in Carolina. You know, the Preds are just kind of hanging around, eh? Yeah. And part of it is UC Soros. Um, okay. So they put up a dud in Toronto, 18 shots on goal in the loss. So they didn't show up. Defenseman Tyson Berry played in Toronto and Montreal. So he actually got back in the lineup. Now, in the wins, UC Soros, one goal against 36 saves versus Montreal, two goals against 37 saves in the win over Philadelphia, and franchise Philip Forsberg overtime game-winning goal versus Philadelphia. I haven't brought that one out in a while, the franchise Philip Forsberg, although it technically probably should be UC Soros, really, when you're talking about the franchise. It just doesn't roll the same way. They go as UC Soros goes. They're not good enough. They're never bad enough. And they're always just, you know, hanging around. On a team that's trying to do like a reset like Nashville is, they're doing too good. Like they're not going to get a low pick. And how yeah, they're they going to sit in that place we talked about, that like mediocre middle, that fucking middling, yeah. brutal spot where you're not getting those top five picks. And that's the same kind of, you know, spot St. Louis is in, who was also 500, who we've talked way too much about. But they were at the, they have the same point total as Edmonton, by the way, at that same 27 game mark. The only difference is that St. Louis had a worse stretch in this, and that's why their coach gets fired. Now, the other team that we're going to talk about in this wild card shot is Minnesota, who is 11, 12, and 4, 26 points. They're minus six on the goal differential, but they're 26 points, which is kind of one off of the pace to be. In that mix, we talked about their loss in Edmonton and losing Jonas Brodeen, and they had a 3 nothing road win in Seattle and then a 3-2 home shootout win versus Calgary. So they got it done. It's expected Jonas Brodeen's going to miss significant time. Philip Gustafson, the goaltender, got 24 save shutout in Seattle for his second of the year. Matt Boldy, a goal in the shootout winner in the Seattle game. He had the shootout winner in Calgary, although he's been on fire lately. eh? Yeah, he has since the coach change 
Matt Boldy has stepped up. I really don't like Minnesota coached by John Hines, even though the record is improved. The defense missed Spurgeon off the beginning of the year. They're capped, and they're now without Brodine. I don't even think Spurgeon played last night either, to be honest with you. I think they're both down. They're doing exceptional considering that their defense and their top defensemen are out of the lineup. Like you have to imagine, like they had Brock Faber was basically having to be the power play point specialist and the first guy to come out on three and three in overtime because they've got him paired with Jake Middleton as their top pair. Put it to you this way, Warren. Okay. No, but think about this as a second pairing. This is what they ran last night. Alex Golgoski at the young age of 38 years old, paired (laughs) with Zach Bogosian, 33, as your second pair. And then that has John Merrill on the third pair with Dakota Mermis, who's a career American Hockey League. Put it to you this way. 15 games played this year for Dakota Mermis is the most in one NHL season for the 29-year-old. Like, he's not like a prospect coming up. Okay, that's a veteran D that spent a career minor leaguer is what would be best described at it. So props on them because they've actually as well got themselves near to back to 500 despite the defense that is missing, you know, their two best defensemen. And long-term injured reserve for Jonas Brodeen. I don't know if Spurgeon is, yeah, they list him as day-to-day, but still even him coming back does not really help the fact that they're undermanned. Offensively, John Hines has done what Dean Evison never would do, and he loaded up the top line. So he put his leading goal scorer, Eric Sinek, between Kaprizov and Boldy. Zuccarello is not playing with Kaprizov now, interesting enough. The theory is, is they want to get Marcus Johansson going with one goal in 27 games, and they figure Zuccarello, who's the best passer, duh, <laughs> in Minnesota going. Marco Rossi got to double digits. Here's an interesting one. This is Marco Rossi's rookie season. 17 points in 27 games played because he played in the American Hockey League last year. But he's the same year as Cole Perfetti, who would have been up for rookie of the year had he not got hurt late in the season last year. But this year, Cole Perfetti has one less goal at this point, but more assists for 19 points. And those guys are drafted one away from each other, both now second-line centers, respectively, for their teams. I would like to see Ryan Hartman off the fourth line in the spot where Marcus Johansson is with Zuccarello and Rossi. I think that oh, would Yeah, be- I was just thinking, like, what do you mean putting the best playmaker on a line if the guy's got one fucking goal? Like, why is that your priority to get the guy that has one goal going? You know, like, I don't know. Put him farther down the lineup. Yeah, which is what I would do. Well, you've got Ryan Hartman with seven goals on the year, which is basically fourth on the team in goals, even though he's missed, you know, three games. Does Hartman play on the power play to make up the difference? Is he one of the guys, like fourth line player that plays on the special, both special teams and just plays four on second power play? Yeah, I think it's second power play. Yeah. Yeah. No, Ryan Hartman is being underutilized. Yeah. Why Marcus Johansson needs to play. He, to me, is like going to be the Mikhail Granlin of this Minnesota roster. Like John Hines, when when he was coaching in Nashville, like Mikhail Granlin had like the most time on ice and the like worst goal production of anybody. 
Marcus Johansson is just way too far up the lineup. And why? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. And Patrick Maroon was like just gooning it up last night, taking some bad penalties, which I guess this roster is designed to do. But I will say Boldy's up to eight goals, the same amount as Kaprizov. And that's tied for second only to Joel Erickson Eck, who's actually been, as far as I'm concerned, consistently Minnesota's best player. But remember, I told you, Warren, back when it was Dean Evison, Erickson Eck would be a 20-goal scorer on one line. Kaprizov would be a 30-goal scorer on another line. And, oh, a guy by the name of Kevin Fiala would get 20 to 25 on a third line. Now, you've got your three top guys loaded up on one line. The rest of this lineup, other than Rossi, doesn't score goals. And, yeah, you're bringing out a guy like Ryan Hartman, who was a 30-goal scorer at least once in his career coming out of the fourth line but oh hey let's put patrick maroon further up the lineup i don't get it but i hate john heinz coaching so this will not maximize and i'm still not sold on minnesota being a playoff team because even though philip gustafson's been better in that it's not been better to the point where he's better than connor ingram or uc soros it might be slightly better than Stuart skinner but those are the teams really, or, or even Jordan Bennington for that matter, like the teams that they're going to have to try and get one of these playoff spots from. That's where I'm kind of going with it. Yeah, I'm not sold on Minnesota. I, I think Minnesota can miss the playoffs, and I think it's because of their head coach now. There is some other thing that's not so savory news out of Minnesota that I do want to make mention of. There was an internal uh, independent in investigation that, has concluded that the NHL was aware of that cleared Minnesota GM Bill Gurren of alleged workplace verbal abuse. Bill Gurren was found not in trouble for that. However, in a separate investigation into code of conduct violations, Minnesota Wild assistant GM Chris O'Hearn has agreed to part ways. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in Minnesota, but apparently it's more wild than I was aware of. Huh, shit. Yeah, there's something else going on there for sure. Of course, with all these non-disclosure agreements and the fact that the assistant GM agreed to step away, we'll probably never hear more details on that. But sounds like it's more explosive off the ice than it is on the ice. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and just get used to watching the rest of the year with John Heights coaching this team. They will be less explosive, but their best players were being their best players. The injuries and how that rosters deployed is going to be interesting to follow i mean they barely beat calgary and calgary's flaming out okay so the draft lottery teams which really is the other four teams in the pacific and one central division team those are the teams we could already say are out of the playoff mix those are your draft lottery headlined by calgary who had 25 points at that 27 game point mark they are 11 14 5 now so that's another loss minus 18 on goal differential they're without their starting goalie jacob markstrom who's a good reason why when they win they win and a 450 point percentage 4-2 home loss to new jersey 6-5 road loss in colorado the game they blew 5-4 ot road loss in vegas how they got a point on a back-to-back -back, i have no idea and to then be honest the fact that they were that close in those two games is really surprising I thought. And and then the three two road shootout loss in Minnesota, which I think says more about how Minnesota is really struggling. And again, we just mentioned all those defense 
This is what's going to be interesting. Listen to who I highlight as far as all these games we go through. Nazem Kadri had a goal assist versus Colorado, and he wishes he still was in Colorado. Tell you that right now. (laughs) Connor Zeri, a goal versus Colorado, third goal in four games played. He's a rookie. Goalie Vladard had six goals against versus Colorado in that loss. Igor Sharangovich, Sharky, two goals in the loss in Vegas. Sharky, power play goal and shootout goal in the loss to Minnesota. And Blake Coleman had the other goal that actually went in off a Minnesota defender Faber while Blake Coleman was trying to pass it to Sharon Goldich, shorthanded in the loss to Minnesota. Blake Coleman gets credit for the goal. He was actually trying to make a pass. With Sharon Goldich on the doorstep, goes off a of Faber skate. So Sharon Goldich, who they got from New Jersey for Tyler Toffoli, Connor's area rookie, and where are all these star players other than Kadri playing really good against this old team? Big surprise, right? He wasn't noticeable last night in Minnesota. Huberdo wasn't noticeable. Lindholm wasn't noticeable. Anyways, I'm just yeah, I don't know, man. Flaming yeah. out, flaming out in Calgary. A lot of underwhelming performances. Yeah, for sure. I'm just surprised that they. I'm just shocked that they were that close in their game against the Knights. And who's it? Colorado. Like the fact that it was one goal games is pretty nuts. Yeah, but it's almost like Calgary. Like I said, that's how bad Gorgiev was that night. That Calgary was up five to three after two. That's what I'm saying. If he plays half as bad as that against the Jets, man, they're going to put some goals up. Yeah, but the difference is, is that this Calgary team still found a way to lose that game. Yeah. Worse than Calgary is Seattle. 10, 14, 7, 27 points. Well, technically, I guess they have more points. They played way more games. They have a 435 point percentage. They're a minus 17 goal differential. So Seattle's 27 points. They played more games than Calgary. Just to be clear on this, they had 22 points at 27 games played. They haven't had a stretch where they, well, I guess they were 4-3-2 and two in their best stretch this year of nine games. 4-3 overtime home loss to Tampa Bay, 3-0 home loss to Minnesota, 4-0 home win to Florida. That one was weird. And a 7-1 home win to Chicago. They actually went 500 over this stretch. They've had a lot of injuries this year, too. I still think that masks the fact that even if those guys were healthy, they wouldn't be very good. At least not good like they were last year. They've sprung a leak. See what you did there? Fucking, yeah, they're they're, uh, going to be a lottery team, man. They're going to be a lottery team. Yeah. Okay, so Goey Joey pulled the cord, who did not get pulled in the stretch, by the way. But I just want to... Joey Decord, but I always want to say, like, I'm waiting for him to get pulled from a game because I really want to say Decord. Fuck that. Pulled Decord. Yeah. But he didn't get pulled in the stretch yet. But two goals against six saves when he came in after goalie Philip Grubauer, who left after two with a lower body injury versus Tampa. So they had Grubauer get hurt because Grubauer always gets hurt. Now he follows that up with the 24 save shutout in the Florida win. First career shutout for Joey. You're going to love this, Warren. Kaylor Yamamoto had a goal and an assist. There you go. In the win over Florida. Tim's boy racking it up. <laughs> Shit. I think he might have even been given the one of these games he has given for a star. So 7-1. Seattle's not even good. They just trounced Chicago 7-1 at home. And it's not to give, don't give Seattle any credit for this. This is how bad Chicago is. I also want to give a shout out to my favorite <laughs> Kraken Yamamoto because 
the first two goals in that 7-1 win scored by Yamamoto. He is, he's a wagon now. You know, we should start talking about Yamamoto and the uh, Rocket Richard at this pace. Now he's going to be their all-star, bro. Oh, man, if he ends up, I mean, I never watched the all-star game, but. You know that every team has to have a representative, so who knows? You know what? Fucking funny. Can we get a campaign going for Kaylor Yamamoto to be Seattle's representative for the All-Star game? <laughs> I want that. Well, who else? It'll probably end up being uh, Beneers, but just saying. Yeah, let's get Kaylor Yamamoto as Seattle's All-Star, which is, like, I don't know. so even... dumb. Like, what they, every team has to have a representative. If you don't have an All-Star, why are they getting picked? You know, it's just stupid. Like... And then other teams that built way better teams and they're doing substantially better things, you know, yeah. they don't and get they, and I know you don't really have... care about the all-star too much, but I think well, that's one of the reasons I don't care about it is because of that mandatory player. When a team doesn't deserve to have a player. Meanwhile, like Miko Rantanen doesn't go to the all-star game, even though he finished the year as a 50 plus goal scorer, because while McCarr and McKinnon had to go, we can't have Rantanen yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like maybe a, Borkstrand will be their guy. He's leading their team in points. I think leading the team in goals with nine. It might as well be. No, it might as no well McCann's be got 14, sorry. Yeah, McCann would probably be a likely choice too. It could be. Look, Kaylor Yamamoto deserves to be as much as McCann and Borkstrand. Yeah, man, I don't know. That's That'd be like the John Scott situation, but Let I don't know. Let Yanni Gord go because Yanni Gord's a, like, he's a shit disturber. He might actually make, you know, he might actually try and hurt someone in the All-Star game. Man, your boy has 10 points. He ain't making the All-Star game. Vote <laughs> him in. Vote him in Yamamoto. Shouldn't even be playing in the NHL, but he's a he's a wagon now in Seattle. We've hinted that San Jose had a good stretch. How good of a stretch did they have? Um, in their last nine, five, three, and one, 11 points. That includes a 4-3 road shootout loss in Vegas, but they got a point, and they had a 2-1 home win to Winnipeg because of Logan Stanley. And they are on the road in Arizona tonight. Did I mention that with the Arizona? I think I did. Uh, Mike Hoffman had two goals in the shootout loss in Vegas. That's about all the notes I had on that. Sharks with some bite. Um, and that that's them out of the basement, by the way. 9, 17, 3, 21 points. Minus 53 goal differential, still the worst. A 362 point percentage, but that has them at present when we're recording this Friday afternoon, a point ahead of Anaheim and two points ahead of Chicago. Yeah, might actually be a good game tonight against Coyotes. See if they can keep it going. I was wondering, actually, uh, Hoffman, what's his deal? How many years does he have left on his deal? And what's he making? Do you know? It's interesting because he's a real anomaly. He had the issues in Ottawa that had him leave with Carlson. I'm pretty sure is how that went down, which is really interesting that it, they both ended up going through San Jose, but not at the same time. Trust me on that. There was some off-ice shenanigans between Hoffman and Carlson and their significant others. Oh, yeah, now they mentioned that. I remember that shit, yeah. Yeah, and because it's Ottawa, which was a shit show, and I still, although Pierre Dorian's now gone and the now deceased owner as well. So he goes Ottawa to Florida. Then he signs a PTO because Florida just, after a 29-goal season, 
Now you got to remember he was putting up some goals, right? And he actually had 36 the year before his career high, both in Florida after leaving Ottawa, but they didn't sign him back. They let a 36 goal scorer go to free agency and only St. Louis on a PTO then had him in the shortened season. He got 17 goals, but he ended up going to Montreal from there where he's had 15 and then Montreal sent him in the deal that involves Carlson going to Pittsburgh to San Jose somehow, how that all worked out. That's a lot of moving around in a short period of time. eh? Yeah. Like I wonder what the fuck's going on behind the scenes with him. Like, why Florida wouldn't re-sign a guy who scored 36 goals. And here's a guy who's at a 4.5 cap hit. This is a deal signed by Mark Bergevin. Well, and that doesn't surprise me at all. That's a former GM of Montreal, and he really didn't care about... He was not worried about good for the room. He was <laughs> signing guys good for the ice. They would just go for anybody in the Bark Bergevin era if he thought it could help them on the ice. That's straight up. But Mark Bergevin, the former Montreal GM, not the current one, was the one that signed Hoffman at 4.5. And the new GM, again, shuffled them off. Like Pittsburgh dumped off Granlin that they picked up at the deadline to San Jose. Montreal dumped off Hoffman. You think about the guys that San Jose has that even are making money on that team right now. They were basically castaways that teams were trying to offload. Like Pittsburgh, there's some they're like, we need to get rid of, of Granlin. When they got Carlson, they made sure Granlin was going the other way. Montreal to help with that three-way deal even being possible because of Pittsburgh's needing to offload salary had sent they sent uh, Casey DeSmith went to Montreal. Then Montreal sent him to Vancouver. They probably should have kept Casey DeSmith. But they also then had San Jose take Hoffman off their hands as part of the deal. San Jose got a really bad deal moving on from Carlson for the guys they ended up returning. He's yeah, no, I was just curious because he looked all right the night against the Jets. I was just checking him out. I think he has 12 points on the season, eight goals. So, I mean, the guy can score goals. But four point. What did you say, 4.5 mil? Yeah, signed by Mark Bergevin. That's all I needed to know. I That's what I do like about Cap Friendly, Warren, is they now put the GM that signed a deal. So I'm not going to blame the current GM for that contract, but it does not surprise me that it was Mark Bergevin that signed that deal. As I mentioned, Anaheim is a point below San Jose now, 10, 18, and 0. Uh, they had the 4-2 home loss to Winnipeg, 4-3 road loss in the Islanders that is in regulation and they play tonight on the road against the New York Rangers currently tied at one after one. Oh, there you go. I said shark bite. And then for Anaheim, I've got rubber ducky. <laughs> yeah. They've, you know, we thought earlier in the year, I guess they were pretenders. Eh? They, they have a few good pieces and they were getting some good W's, but uh, definitely slip slide in the last few weeks. Well, that point total, they went 5-4-0 in in the first nine for 10 points, which would put them into the, in theory, had them a bubble playoff team based on this nine-game stretch. But it's just 
that one nine game stretch where they're just at that level you would have to be for the whole season. And then after that, they were four and five. And then after that, they went one and eight. And it's yeah. So basically stick a fork in them time. Yeah. yeah. Like it is stick a fork in them. Um, they failed to hold that lead against Winnipeg. Then in against the Isles in the third, the Islanders got a power play goal to get the game tying goal late. And then short handed game winning goal with under two minutes left in the game. Anaheim was on a power play and gave up the in regulation loss while on a power play. That's, That's how things how have been go going. Your shit show, yeah, yeah. But head coach Greg Cronin probably not getting fired. Probably and just then, like based on expectations, right for the season. How things are going terribly for Chicago? They are actually below Anaheim and San Jose. Nine, nineteen, and one. Nineteen points. A minus thirty-eight. Goal differential, 328 point percentage, which is worse, at least the worst in the Western Conference, and I think the league, but I don't really follow the other half of the league to see if they are actually winning the lottery. They had a 3-1 home win over St. Louis, which cost Craig Berube his job. (laughs) 4-2 home loss to Washington. Chicago is on a back-to-back. 4-1 4-1 road loss in Edmonton. You already talked about Bedard's wonderful goal. And they had the 7-1 road loss to that not making 12 the goals, 12 assists, 24 points, leading all rookies by a bunch. Gotta, that's got to focus on the positives. That's all they got. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, okay, we'll give you a positive here. I got one positive thing as well. So with the win over St. Louis... Chicago won consecutive games for the first time this year. There you two, go. Come on, two, glass half full. There you go. Two. That doesn't cons- that doesn't count as a streak yet. You have to win three in a row, otherwise. It's- no, I said I didn't say streak. I said yeah. one consecutive games. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's two. They won two games consecutively, first time this year. Only time this year. But you wanted positivity. There's positivity for you. Now, reversal of positivity. Goalie Arvid Soderblom tagged for all seven goals against while making 17 saves in the loss to Seattle, who really doesn't score goals. Yeah, Soderblom is shit. He's bad. And like really bad. I've seen I've seen a few of them, a few games with the, the Hawks this year, and he was just horrible, letting in garbage goals. What's his goals above expected? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Amazing, I bet. Well, we'll get to the very bottom of the league and then we'll work our way back up if it's not at the very bottom. No. Such bad goaltenders as Stuart Skinner basically is now listed when I brought this up as the worst in the NHL for goal saved above expected. Dan Vladar's in the 70 mark, 64th at a minus 4.2 goal saved above expected for Arvid Soderblom. Nice. The guy that above him on that list, Warren, is now playing in the American Hockey League by the name of Jack Campbell, who actually had a 
minus 3.8 goal saves above expected before he got sent down. And by the way, still a better mark than Stuart Skinner, who is still playing net in Edmonton. Actually, I've been I've been surprised actually by Peter Morazic playing better this year. He was not very good last year either. They don't have a goalie. They don't really have defense. They do have one player in Chicago. I mean, you can get more excited about Anaheim. I'm not really sure I'm excited about San Jose either because it's just a bunch of cast-offs, but like there's no there's no Connor Bedard in San Jose for the like, you know, for them to turn a corner. Anaheim at least has got, you know, yeah, 100%. Got, you got Carlson, right? you got fucking Frank the Tank there, you got McTavish. You know, you got some pieces to work with at least. Yeah. You have a goaltender. Yeah, that's true. So I think Anaheim of these teams, when that's the whole thing with Seattle's not getting the goaltending and they finally got some goals, but I don't know, just because you pump Chicago. I mean, Chicago's bad. I'm interested to see how Seattle does over when they actually have to play some teams that are good again. But I think they're out of the mix. But that's the whole point on this is kind of Anaheim had at best a 10-point stretch, hasn't, and basically like reversal of Edmonton is what Anaheim. They had 10 points in their first nine games. Over the next 18, they had exactly 10 points. Like that's your season in a nutshell, right? So these teams really, to get back into the mix, they're just not going to. So that's why I've got draft lottery teams as Calgary, Seattle, Anaheim, San Jose, and Chicago. And to conclude, this is why I am so sick of people saying the Pacific Division is better than the Central. Like on what planet? The only team in the stratosphere with Calgary, Seattle, Anaheim, San Jose, and Chicago. Then you have to go up another level where Edmonton is with four, you know, Central teams. And then it's even at the top in the Elite Six. So how is Pacific better when they've got four teams competing for the draft lottery compared to the Central's one? This doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't work. Like you're guaranteed a four and four split, or it's going to be five Central Division teams and Edmonton misses the playoffs this year. That's how it's going down. That's it. Now, I think Edmonton gets in, and it's a 4-4 split, which we thought at the beginning of the year, me and you, Warren. But all these guys, like national guys, reputable guys, saying the Pacific is better, and I guess they're because right now, having played more games, Vegas and Vancouver, and LA's, you know, hot start, right, that they had a good stretch on the road, NHL record, they're just super top-heavy, right? Yeah, it's so top-heavy, but on the low end of it is a better half of the division like it's been how many years in a row? Anaheim, San Jose have been irrelevant for how many years, right? Calgary's had one good season, right? Calgary's missed the playoffs how many years in a row to just sneak in as a wild-card team, basically, like they had one good year in this last little stretch. Yeah, when's the last time they made it out of the first round? Right? Vancouver wasn't a playoff team. They're finally good this year. And LA last year, like 
it's almost like LA over the last few years was in the playoffs by default. And I get it. Edmonton's going to be in the mix. I, I do believe that. So I think you could get a four, four, but if it's not Edmonton, it's a central division team getting the other wildcard spot period. End of no conversation. Yeah, the stats are there for it. The six that are in the elite six that we talk about, they're, they're going to be above the playoff cutoff. Now, say somebody falls in or falls down, they might end up getting one of the wild card spots. But these other teams, that's all they can hope for at best of it. And to be quite honest with you, when I look at like Nashville and St. Louis, they're just almost doing too good. They should want to do worse to get themselves a top 10, top five prospect that they never, ever, ever get because they don't have organizationally you know what i mean like they don't have players that are gonna they can't do quick turnarounds i don't think with those teams although i guess theoretically they've got the goaltending piece st louis needs to overhaul their defense nashville they need to like they need a rookie that's a good goal scorer you just don't get to trade for those guys like young you know i guess maybe yeah they, where you have control over their contract for a few years, right? That entry level contract and they're and they produce for you, right? They almost you know what Nashville and maybe Barry Trotz will do it. But if Nashville really turned a corner, it's gonna involve them doing what never happens in the NHL. They offer sheet a restricted free agent, and then whatever it costs them to do it, they dole it out. That's what Nashville should do to get a, a an actual elite score for that next grouping because they won't draft them. They didn't, they're that, that murky middle. So how do you get a guy like that? They needed like do what uh, Carolina did with uh cocky and Emmy offer sheet them on a one year ridiculous rate to then keep them. We'll watch for that. I think Barry Trotz is smart enough to do that. Always a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, always a good time. Don't be a loger hunter, be a sharpshooter. And keep it top shelf. 